I hope you've come today to hear something from God's Word and not to hear me. Amen. Probably be disappointed if you come to hear anything from New Eastland this morning. But if you come to hear something from God's Word, by His grace, you'll be blessed to have something this day. Amen. Goodness of God. Goodness of God. You know, we could say many things about God's goodness. We could bring a lot of verses to bear, talking to show the goodness of God, how God is good. You know, we could probably spend hours today going on to weeks if we want to talk about the goodness of God. I don't intend to do that. I intend to be up here for about 45 minutes. That's nasty, right? I've just given you a clue. So now people can time me and say, oh, he came closer, he didn't. No, today, though, we want to spend a little bit of time and remind ourselves of some of the aspects of God's nature and consider what that knowledge should mean to our lives. Right. If there's a verse about God's goodness that I miss, it's my apology. I'm sorry in that regard that it didn't cover. But if it's something that you know of, if you can think of some aspect of God's goodness that I missed, that's great. Amen. My purpose today will already have been fulfilled which is to focus us, to remind us that God is good. Yeah. And we need to consider that. We need to think about that. It's not even in the notes, but brethren, God wants the ultimate in the worship of God. The ultimate in serving him is where everything else is just out of the picture. We don't even consider it. We're just thinking about him. We're just contemplating him and His nature, and aspects of what's glorious to Him, and we're rejoicing in that. Yeah. Now, true, I'm going to go over some blessings that God's given us. And they're glorious blessings in His goodness. But just to think about the fact that God is good, and to rejoice in that, whether He ever does anything good towards me or not, to center in Him, that is the ultimate. And if, again, anything that is said today, either directly or indirectly, sparks your mind to that, I will be very pleased. The Lord will have answered my prayer. I want to get all the man-made garbage out of the way first. Let's define our terms, okay? I want to take us for just a moment. I'll try to make it as brief as possible in the dictionary to talk about the word goodness and good. So we have a ground on which to start from, okay? Goodness is the quality of being good in any of its various senses. Excellence, virtue, kindness, benevolence, such as the goodness of timber, of a soil, of food, the goodness of character, of conduct, so forth. Good, possessing desirable qualities, adapted to answer the end designed, promoting success, welfare, or happiness, serviceable, useful, fit, excellent, admirable, commendable, not bad, corrupt, or evil, noxious, or offensive, or troublesome, possessing moral excellence or virtue, virtuous, pious, religious. In that regard, it's a persons or actions. Kind, benevolent, humane, merciful, gracious, polite, propitious, friendly, well-disposed. All of these are aspects of the word of when we say goodness or good in general. 
What I'd like us to do is think about this definition of, of goodness, that when referring to God, goodness describes the perfection of God in himself. When we talk about something being good, we're talking about being fit and appropriate and admirable, right? Well, God is that way in and of himself. Amen. Every aspect of God is good, is it not? So good in one sense has an overriding thing of being excellent. Referring to God, goodness describes the perfection of God in himself. Not related to anything else. This universe, you and me, the angels, the animal creation, the rocks, the trees, everything is not even in the picture. At best, it is a reflection of God. But see, God doesn't need any of us. Right. He doesn't need any of this. Right. He is perfect and good and right all in himself. Amen. So goodness refers to that perfection of him. From which flows, out of this perfection that is God, flows virtue, that's righteousness, moral excellence, and all benevolence. Anything that's kind, good, merciful, gracious, things like that, all that flows out of God himself. It is also from God's goodness, excuse me, his he is perfect in all his character traits, and this comes from his goodness. The perfection of all of his traits is good. It comes from God's goodness. And it's also from God's goodness that flows kindness, sympathy, mercy, pity, grace, and love, not only in himself and in his actions, which it all are covered by, right? Everything he does is gracious and merciful and kind and loving. But in any of his creatures, anytime you see in a brother or sister, your parents, anybody you've ever run into, a good deed, anything you've ever, ever read in a history book of a kindness done to someone, a goodness done, somebody going out of their way to take care of somebody else, that's from God's nature. Mm -hmm. That came out of God. It would not have existed without it. Mm -hmm. Do you begin to see kind of the, the borders of God's goodness? <laughs> if you're like me, no. Because <laughs> I've just pushed them out all over the place. He's the source and font of all of these. Sympathy, mercy, pity, grace, love, kindness. And he is the perfect example and fulfillment of them all. Yes. You know, if you look around, you can see people that are gracious, that are kind, that are loving. You can think of acts that you think just went out of the way of normal human activity to show any of these aspects. And all of those are but pale reflections of God. He is the perfection of all of that. He's the perfection of kindness. He's the perfection of grace, the perfection of mercy, of long-suffering. Okay, enough of that. Let's go to the Scriptures. If you turn to the Psalms, let's go to Psalm 86, verse 5 to start with. There's any number of places where God is mentioned as good. And initially I want us to look at the goodness of God as part of God Himself, part of His intricate nature, His intrinsic, excuse me, nature. Psalm 86 and verse 5, and again, 
I could go to hundreds of passages almost on this, but we'll just pick a few. Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. God is good. And notice how it's described here. The outflowing of that goodness. He's ready to forgive. And he's merciful, did it say? Plenteous in mercy. There is no boundary to the amount of mercy that God has towards us. And hopefully in some of the other passages of Scripture, we'll see that worked out. Psalm 100, verse 5. A few pages over. Psalm 100 and verse 5. I'm not going to apologize, by the way, for making you turn. I'm not going to apologize for making you turn in Scripture. It's good. You need to see these things in your own eyes. You need to read them. You need to stay awake. And I don't know if I'm that entertaining a speaker, but if you're having to turn pages, that'll help you stay awake. Okay? Psalm 100, verse 5. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Now, I love that. Again, look at the balance of God. God's truth is not divided from His mercy. Mercy, not in expense of truth. I don't know about you, brethren, but the way the Lord made me is, is I love details. I love to see things put together. I love to see, I don't like to do puzzles because... I mean, I can't, you know, part of me loves the intricacy and part of me wants to say, just do it, okay? So having to put together a puzzle I don't like. But I love to see a puzzle where you see all these little bitty pieces and they all just fit together just perfectly and the last one falls in place and there you see the whole picture. And God is just that way, except in three, four, 29 dimensions, however you want to describe it. I mean, he's not just a cardboard character you see in some man-made novel. God's got dimensions to him in his personality. God loves things. God hates things. God is righteous and holy. He's a judge sitting on a throne, ready to mete out judgment on all wickedness. But he's also a loving father underneath those judicial robes who figured out a way to take people he chose to be his children and to show mercy to him. Amen. When I talk about God being this complete being, that's what I'm talking about. He is not just a semi-senile old grandfather sitting up in heaven who's ready to excuse anything man does. He's righteous and he's holy, and that righteousness and holiness always has to be matched. The soul that sinned, it, it shall die. Death has to be executed on any sin in this world. God cannot pass over it. Right. So how did he do that? He put it on Jesus Christ. See, that's the perfect outworking of his holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and his goodness. Amen. It all fits. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endureth to all generations. Just a page over, Psalm 106, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Notice how many times it's talked about. The mercy of God enduring forever. Think about it, brethren. 
There's going to be a whole bunch of people in heaven with him, right? We hope to be part of that group, right? Amen. What are we? Let me help you out. What's our descent? Where did we come from? Character by the name of Adam. And what did that sterling example of mankind procure for all of his descendants? Yeah. Death. So God sent another person to take the place of Adam, to be an Adam for a new race Amen. called Jesus Christ. And he's the Adam for all of the race of his chosen people. And he died a death to take care of what that other character did so that we can be recipients of God's mercy forever. Because <coughs> for all eternity, as the descendants of Adam, where do we belong? In the lake of fire. But where will we be instead? We'll be at the right hand of God the Father. Amen. We'll be the brothers of Jesus Christ. Enjoying God's blessings and mercy. That's mercy, right? Mm -hmm. Eternal, everlasting mercy that we will be experiencing. His mercy endureth forever. And it will for us. Thanks be to the Lord. Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And I like the next verse. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Amen. And goes on to talk about the blessing there. So God is called good in the Psalms. God's very name is good. Psalm 54, verse 6. Psalm 54, verse 6. And when I said a few minutes ago, I don't mind you turning, I hope that I'm turning to profitable passages for you. I hope it's not a, an onerous thing to look at God's word. Psalm 54 Verse 6, I will freely sacrifice unto thee. I will praise thy name, O God, Lord, for it is good. God's name is good. In, in all sorts of senses, right? I mean, I am that I am. That's his name, right? That's an appropriate name for him, <laughs> right? Amen. And it also represents that he's a good God. He's a benevolent God. He shows God kindness and mercy to people. Not just people. Well, first of all, go to Psalm 119, verse 68. We'll get to people in a second. But Psalm 19, 119, verse 68, that beautiful psalm that centers on the Word of God itself and God's revelation to us, does have a way of sticking in some of God's attributes as we go through it. And in verse 68, it tells us, Thou, speaking of God, art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. God is not just intrinsically good. When he was talking to, to uh, Miriam and Aaron at one time, he said, you know, if I talk to my prophets, I talk to them in similitudes and in dreams and visions. But my servant Moses isn't like that. I speak to him face to face. I talk to him just like, I just like you'd talk to a friend. That's the way I deal with Moses. And turn over to Exodus chapter 33 and let's look at how God revealed himself. Good. He emphasized his goodness. Let's look in the fact that God does, his activities are good. Let's see how that everything good in this universe. Remember back to my definition I talked about? See, I'm trying to show you from Scripture where my definition came from. Mm -hmm. Let's look at every good thing comes from God. James 1.17. James, go to the New Testament. Work those fingers. James chapter 1. 
in verse 17. Now see, I've got all my verses listed out here. Anybody who's got a problem with having to turn, I've got my verses listed out, but I'm turning to them just like you are, okay? James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good... Oh, let's go back. Let's start with verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. James wants to make sure that you don't miss this point. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above Amen. and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Oh, and isn't that comforting, brethren? When you look at passages like that, I hope you, I hope you like to pull them apart and look at every word and think about the ramifications. It didn't just say that every good gift from, comes from above, from God. He goes on to say, with whom there is no variableness, no shadow of turning. Brethren, how often do you and I turn and change? We have friends. We have acquaintances, people we like to deal with. Oh, but they say something that we don't like. Okay? Or they take a position that we don't like. And all of a sudden, we change towards them. I mean, am I describing reality? Mm -hmm. Is that the way we are? Yep. We start off liking Camaros, okay? Then later on in life, we like Volvos. Or maybe we like Saturns or whatever. Okay? We change. We're variable. God doesn't change. God doesn't vary. If He fixes His love upon you, it ain't changing. If he shows goodness to you, even if later on he's going to chastise you, even that chastisement is goodness. Amen. And the way he chastises is in a good way right. for its intended end. Mm -hmm. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Everything comes from God. Anything, any good in the universe that you see, whether it's a characteristic in somebody, an activity, a creature, whatever it is, has its origin in God. Everything that's good comes from God. And if you think about it, God is the only good. God is the only thing that you can call good, though, in the fullest sense. Remember over in Luke, you won't have to turn to this one. You'll remember this one. Luke 18, 19, where the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, Good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus stops him in his tracks and says, wait a minute. Why call you me good? Why callest thou me good? Right. None is good, save one, that is God. Amen. Now, of course, the full implication of that is not just he's stopping in his tracks. You know, he doesn't want him to be a flatterer, but he's also saying, do you really know who you're coming to talk to? If I am a good master, if I am good, in the sense that you're talking about, it's because I am God. I am your Lord. And we need to remember that too. We're coming to a good master, the only good master, who is our God. Our goodness, whatever goodness and mercy we have, is derivative. We get it from God. It's not something we have in and of ourselves. Jane, uh, Psalm 16. Verse 2. Psalm 16 and verse 2. Talking about man's goodness. is not something inherent from ourselves. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. 
but to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. We cannot give back to God. We cannot give Him goodness because we've gotten it from Him. Now, because He has given us some portion of the goodness that He has to be reflected in our lives, we can give that to others and be a benefit to them. But we cannot benefit God in and of ourselves because anything we have, we've gotten from Him. You understand that? This should be teaching us humility. I mean, we come to the Lord, you know, oh, it's such a great thing. I love the Lord. No. <laughs> All you are is then a mirror of His goodness and a pretty dark one at that, aren't you? Yep. When it comes to Him. Yep. Now, we can help, and we should be. We should be a source of God's goodness going out to others. And we can help each other in that regard. But don't you ever think that you're giving something back to God? It's some big praiseworthy thing when you show love and affection back towards God because... You got it from him in the first place. Amen. And as we've already said, God's goodness is in perfect, perfect balance with all his other attributes. Next point. God extends all his acts, goodness, in different degrees. Let's go back. Think about in Genesis chapter 1. It says God's made light, Right? He said, God saw the light and it was good. When God made light, he said, that's good. That's appropriate. That's fit for the task I've got it for. Verse 10, Genesis chapter 1. He creates the dry land and gathers the waters together into the sea. And God saw that it was good. Verse 12. The earth brought forth grass, herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Verse 21, God created the great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. good. Verse 25, And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. Now here's a tricky one, verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. Got it. Amen. All of God's creation was good. Everything that God did was good. Yeah, very good. Really good. But beyond that, God continues to show His goodness towards the animal kingdom. Now think about that. Does God have to be good to the animals? No, He doesn't have to be good. Except it's part of His nature, which means, yeah, He's got to be good. I hope you understand that anytime you think about the attributes of God, say, God's got to do this. Is there an external compulsion that makes God do that? No. Uh-uh. No way. Because there's nothing outside of God that can force Him to do anything. But is there part of His nature that has to show itself forth to men and angels in the universe? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. In this case, God has to show forth His goodness by being kind to the animals. Look at Psalm 104. 104, starting at verse 27. Psalm 
Psalm 104 and verse 27. He's just described a number of great works that he's done, such as the creeping things, innumerable, verse 25, small and great. Things in the ocean we're talking about now. Verse 26, Leviathan, some great, huge animal that God created. It was a dinosaur, a whale, whatever it was. It was magnificent. Verse 27, these wait all upon thee that thou mayest give them their meat in due season. That thou givest them, they gather. Thou openest thine ha hand, they are filled with good. Mm -hmm. Even the little bitty plankton, those little bitty shrimps that swim in the ocean, microscopic, I mean, you could have hundreds of thousands of them in a little teacup full, okay? That feed all the other things. God's good to them. God gives them their meat in due season. God provides them their food when and how they need it. Amen. Is that good? Amen. I mean, these little bitty things that God spoke, I mean, us, after all, He formed. He formed man from the ground. Still, we're not too high, right? <laughs> we're dust with God's breath in it. But at least He formed us. Dolphins. And there were dolphins. You know? He said tuna, and they were tuna. Okay? I mean, they're just a throwaway thing he created, right? But God's good to them. God provides them their sustenance. He provides them their environment that they live in. And anybody who's watched any of these nature shows, I mean, it's just amazing. All the things that go into play and how they all fit together in this environment. It's all good. It's all glorious. His dealings with men in general display God's goodness. Psalm 145. Psalm 145. Starting at verse 6. I think it's one of Brother Paul's favorite psalms, isn't it? Psalm 146. Verse 6. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. For the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. The Lord, verse 9, is good to all, and all, and, excuse me, his, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. Everything God does towards men in general is good. It's kind. All of his dealings. Let's just think a second. Let's put on our thinking caps and just think a second about a few things. Let's consider God's goodness in general in this world. Why are there medicines and other remedies in nature to relieve pain and suffering? Oh, but pain's a necessary reaction for us to know we've got damage to our body. Okay, fine. Why then have relief for that? Why then have things that will tone down that pain while the body is healing? I mean, after all, do we need more than just a kind of like, you know, a light to go on, boom, your arm's been hacked off. You got a broken leg, okay? No, the pain keeps going on, reminding us, right? And those of you who've had any sort of chronic pain know how bad that can be. 
But then, you know, you peel off the bark of a willow tree, okay, and you scrape that off, and all of a sudden that headache goes away, and that pain gets numb. That's what aspirin comes from, okay? Why is that there? That's the goodness of God. And we can multiply that out by any number of things. Think about the nature of our senses. Touch, taste, sight, hearing. Oh, we need those to survive. Well, do we need colors? I mean, there's plenty of animals that by the nature of their rods and cones, we can tell all they see is black and white. Why do we see all this great variety of color around us? Taste. You know, some things are very bitter, and we know to spit those things out, okay? That's all we really need for survival. How come sugar tastes so good and honey tastes so sweet? How come the different mixtures of taste are so nice and attractive to us? Why, why do these random or not so random mixture of, of tones sound so pleasing to us? I mean, you take a string and vibrate it just the right way under somebody's educated hands, and it can make you cry in music. Why do we have that? That's not a survival benefit. That's goodness from God. Amen. Why touch? I mean, oh yeah, I know it's there, okay? But I mean, think of, think of all the, the certain ways of touching that are very pleasant and very enjoyable. Why are those there? It's the goodness of God. Think about the beneficent emotions. Love, sympathy, mercy, forgiveness, long-suffering that bring joy to us as we exercise them. What is the benefit of love? I mean, we can have an emotion that basically says, okay, that's my wife, those are my kids, for survival purposes, yeah, I'm going to protect them. There doesn't have to be joy in that relationship, does it? to survive. <coughs> and yet we have that. I mean, what about the joy we have in each other's company? Right. We're not all the same blood. Well, but we are. Joseph with that, what does he do? He starts bawling. He starts crying. Not because he didn't think daddy hadn't, wouldn't want that. No. That his brothers would still be afraid of him. That they wouldn't have learned by now that he was motivated by a different spirit. Verse 19, and Joseph said to his brethren, fear not, for am I in the place of God? And look at this. You look at this reality statement. But as for you, you thought evil against me. Brothers, let's get real. You meant it to be bad. You didn't like me. You didn't want me around. You meant to cause me harm. All that matters is but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. And now therefore fear you not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he, and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. God takes circumstances that we could see as being horrible. A 17-year-old taken by his own brothers and sold into slavery. And while he's on that trip into Egypt, while he's down there away from his family, because when, when did he finally meet back with his family? When, when he was 30. 
13 years, he's a bond slave in a foreign nation. He does the best he can in what happens. He's a good-looking young man. The mistress of the house wants him. He's a godly young man and says no. So what does he get for it? A rape charge and a conviction, even though he didn't touch her. I mean, let's think of the circumstances under which he said these things. He's back home. I mean, after that, he speaks to somebody. You know, he's in prison with some guys, and God has given him the ability to interpret dreams, right? They come to him with their dreams, and he interprets them. Out of this place, this jail, what do they do? Well, one gets hung, so he can't help him. The other one is back in power, forgets him for three years. All of that, Joseph looks back and says, hey, you know what? God meant it for good. God overruled your evil in sending me into that place and all the things. I mean, who did he marry? He had to marry the priest's priest daughters of own. He didn't get to marry somebody of his choosing. He was assigned his wife. You think you got it bad sometimes? Think about Joseph. And what did Joseph say? Hey, brethren, you meant it to be evil for me, but God meant it to be for good. And that's what God does. God takes the worst of circumstances and turns them around to be glorious blessings. And yet, in all that, God is under no obligation to show equal goodness to everybody. We were talking about this just the other day. Matthew chapter 20, verse 15. We're talking about the ruler. Goes out and hires men. You know, beginning of the day for a penny. Then later on in the day, another penny. Comes to pay them at the day, end of the day. And what do they say? You know, whoa. Well, wait a minute, you know, you're paying these guys a penny who've worked only an hour or so, and you're paying us who worked all day long a penny. He says, look, wait a minute, we agreed up front. You thought that was good, Ray, just didn't you? Verse 15 of Matthew 20, is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? And that applies to God. I mean, a man who's built up his capital and wants to go out and hire some people and they're decent wages and they agree to it, if he wants to show some partiality and difference there, what does it matter? It's his, right? He can do with his own what he wants to. What about God, the Lord of the universe? Does he owe goodness to anybody? No. No. He doesn't owe us anything. He owes us hell. We earned that, didn't we? Wages of sin is? Death. Death. So he decides to override our contract, right? And, and unilaterally write us a better one. Amen. That's what God is. That's how God is good. But you know what? The best expression of God's goodness is towards his children. You really want to see the goodness of God, take a look at what he does for his special people. Turn to Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Exodus chapter 3. You know, Jacob and his sons went down into Egypt. They were down there for a while. At first, everything was wonderful under Joseph. But then a generation or two passed by, and there came up a Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph. Didn't remember how the whole nation was saved by this Hebrew and his diligence and by the Lord blessing him. 
And they were put under hard taskmasters down in Egypt. And in verse 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen... Think about that, brethren. Are you ever in affliction? Do you ever have difficulties in your life? Look at this. The Lord sees it. I have, sure, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. Wow. The Lord of the universe looks down into this hellhole called earth. And he sees some things and he hears some things and he knows some things. And I am come down. He's speaking this to Moses. I am come down to deliver them out of the land of Egypt of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of the land to fend for themselves? No. Unto a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God heard. God saw. God heard. God felt their sorrows. And He came to deliver them. And not just to deliver them out of bondage, but to take them to their own land, a good land flowing with milk and honey. God showed his great goodness towards Israel in the Old Testament. Think about 18, Exodus 18, verse 9. Turn over there. I mean, it was so evident that even other people could see it. In Exodus 18, verse 9. And Jethro... which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And brethren, now we skipped over a whole bunch of stuff. I hope that you remember it and think about it. I hope you remember the fact that God spoiled the Egyptians. Right. When I say spoiled, I mean they took out, there wasn't any, hardly any wealth left in Egypt after Israel left. Because remember after that last plague where the firstborn died, what did the people do? They came running to the Israelites saying, Oh, here, please, get out of our land. Go someplace else. Here, I know it's a long trip. Here, take the family jewels. Here, take this necklace, okay? Here, here's my bank account. Here, take it. Go, please, now, leave. God told them in Exodus 3.22, told Moses beforehand he was going to spoil the nation for their sake. And as they were leaving in 12.36, that's where it happened. The whole financial wealth of a nation was given to another nation to ask them to leave. God did that for them. More than that, more than that, God tells us in Isaiah 43, 43 verse 3, that God actually redeemed. That means he bought back Israel with the lives of those firstborn in Egypt. God passed over the blood spattered on their houses, the houses of the Israelites, and he went in and killed every firstborn of man and animal in every house in Egypt. Mm -hmm. From Pharaoh on down, think of the price that was paid for Israel to come out. That's the goodness of God. Other people had to pay for their blessing. Even in his chastisement, God shows his goodness towards his own people. 
Turn to Isaiah 63, a lengthy passage, but a, I think a good one for the point at hand. Isaiah chapter 63. Starting at verse 7, going down to about verse 14. Look how it starts out. Watch as we read this passage how it starts, how it changes in the middle, and then how it comes back in the end. Isaiah 63, 7, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, children that will not lie. So he was their Savior. In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bare them, and he carried them all the days of old. Now that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? God delivering his people out of Egypt. But, read on. Verse 10, but they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy and he fought against them. Verse 11, then he remembered the days of old, Moses and his people saying, where is he that brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he that put his Holy Spirit within him? that led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make himself an everlasting name. Then led them, uh, that led them through the deep as an horse in the wilderness, that they should not stumble. As a beast goeth down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord caused him to rest. So didst thou lead thy people to make thyself a glorious name. God came back. He remembered what he'd done to them before in the past. And he came back and delivered them again. Now, brethren, is that good? Mm -hmm. Is that good? Yeah. Even when they rebelled against him, he still brought them back. Yeah. Oh, he chastened them severely. But always with the intention, go read it. Prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet saying, turn back to the Lord. Come on back. I mean, even at one point, the Lord, this is how good God.